Okay, good morning. I hope you've uh, helped yourselves to some coffee and we have some uh, leftover donuts. I want to thank our sponsors for our Amuna uh, Shear. First of all, our overall series sponsor for the entire year. We remain very uh, grateful to Drs. Avi and Bella Morgan, who sponsored the series for the entire year. Lezecher Nishmas, Rabbi Dr. Brian Gabbett, Baruch Tzvi Ben Ruvein Nassim, who lived a life filled with Torah, Avoda, and Avoda Hashem and Amuna. Also, this particular week, we have two other sponsors, Heidi and Alan Fuchs of Teaneck, New Jersey, in honor of Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg, our children's best babysitter. <laughs> not to worry, if you pay my salary, I'm not babysitting on the side. This was when, when I was uh, a lot younger. And for our Fuhr Shlema, for their granddaughter, Karen Eliora Bas Sara Michal, who should have a complete and speedy recovery. And also this week by our dear and beloved Linda Gordon, in memory of her beloved husband, Harvey Gordon, who unfortunately just passed away. Linda, it's so meaningful that you're here. And thank you for that sponsorship. And we hope Hashem gives you strength and comfort during this difficult time. Okay, we are making our way through Be'emunah. So Yechia Revolbe's Sefer on Emunah. Revolbe's Sefer on faith. Yechia, you're only really alive. We're only really alive if we're living with faith. People who don't have faith, it's very easy to crumble. We were tested in our faith this week. And the fact that the fact that there's no light coming in through these windows or doors because shutters are still up is a, a reminder to us of what a close call and what a narrow escape it was for us and unfortunately how others did not have that. And with whatever I, I hesitate, this is always a dilemma. But on the one hand we express enormous gratitude to Hashem for sparing us. If you if you look at the trajectory of this uh, wicked hurricane Dorian and you see where it started and how it went due west and made a beeline for not just Florida, for Montoya Circle. Yeah. It made a beeline right for us, and then it hit a wall, just stopped, and it made a right turn and headed north. It's something which is not, it's, it's extraordinary, it's extraordinary. The problem with expressing that so explicitly is that where it stopped, and the people on top of whom it stopped, and our heart goes out to those in the Bahamas who are devastated and who are suffering terribly. And I want to get into our, uh, our safer here, but I would propose the following to you. If you feel grateful for being spared, if you feel overwhelmed with gratitude for the fact that those who've been through a hurricane know what it's like, those who've never been through a hurricane, trust me, you should be filled with gratitude. Channel that gratitude into doing something good for the people of the Bahamas. Our local federation has created a fund. There are all kinds of, and there's going to be efforts to put supplies together and uh, to try to help them recover in that community. And for it not to just be lip service, to say thank you and move on, but to actually be something meaningful and tangible, we would have had to spend an enormous amount of money to rebuild our own lives take just a small amount as a token, at least, to help others build their lives, to express our gratitude to Hashem. But we were tested, everything we're learning about. Will you get anxious? Will you be nervous? Will you worry? Will you get angry? Will you be impatient? Will you be jealous of your neighbor and their generator? Will you, every single aspect of uh, what we've been studying for several years now, but Amuna was tested over way too long a time, way too long a time. Rabbi Flug thinks that we should propose legislation that news it should be illegal to cover a hurricane more than three days before it's scheduled to hit because of uh, the torture that it puts us the torture it puts us through how much productivity was lost how many years of our life <laughs> are, are, are gone by it so in any case um, everything that we're learning was put to a test so where are we? we're on, on Vad Yud Aleph we're on essay 11 and Revolba has been taking us through Rav Chaim Vital's four different components. The human being is made up of four different elements. We are made up of esh, ruach, mayim, va'afar, fire, wind, water, and earth. And each of those elements within us 
not necessarily anatomically or biologically, but metaphysically, we have each of those elements represented in us, and each of those elements uh, expresses itself in different character traits. So, for example, we said that fire is the source of arrogance and anger. Somebody who's flying off the handle with rage has a fire burning in their belly. We talked about the fact that um, wasteful conversation and, and distortion of truth and gossip come from wind. You're blowing wind, hot air, you're just wasting conversation. We talked about that the source of loving material physical possessions is water and sadness and laziness and despondency, giving up yeyush, belong to the realm of Afar. And again, the premise of what we've been learning was summed up by the Katzka Rebbe who said, don't try to break your bad habits, because if you break your habit, you're just left with two bad habits. Breaking a habit is not the way to be a better person. The way to be a better person is to diagnose what is underneath the bad habit. The bad habit is the symptom. What is the illness that's driving that symptom? And if we can heal that illness, then we will no longer have those symptoms. So if you find yourself getting angry or being arrogant, if you find yourself struggling with telling the truth or gossiping, if you find yourself always pursuing material possessions and things, if you find yourself lazy or giving up, then the, the answer is not to break that particular habit. The answer is to understand and diagnose where is that illness in the one of these four elements, either the Eish, Ruach, Mayim, or Afra, the fire, the wind, the water, or the, or the earth. So we've been going through the Midah of Gaiva. We've been talking about arrogance. How Hashem says there's not enough room in this world for both me and you. It's one or the other. Hashem is the infinite, all-powerful, and when we try to compete with Him, if you remember last week, we talked about the metaphor, you can steal a uniform from a police officer, you could steal their badge. It doesn't give you the power of being a policeman, a policewoman. You don't have that power. So when we try to dress, we wear the lavush, the malbush of Hashem, when we're stealing Hashem's uniform, doesn't mean that we have His power. The power still belongs to Him. So we're up to Haramban, page Ayin Zayin, the second page, 77, second paragraph, Haramban. Everyone see it? So the Ramban says, in fact, this is the entire essence, this is the goal, this is the reason for why we have a shul. We refer to a shul as a base Knesset. What that word literally means, those words literally mean, is a place of gathering. It's a gathering place. So why do we gather there? Why can't I daven at home? Why can't I daven in my living room? Arguably, I would have a better davening in my living room. No one around me would be talking or distracting me. So why can't I daven in my living room? Why am I told, despite the fact that I might argue I'd have a better davening in my living room, a more focused davening, a less distracted davening, you got to come to shul. So listen to what the Ramban writes, Nachmanides. The whole purpose, the essence, the mission statement of a shul is it's a gathering place for people to come together to admit and acknowledge to God, we are your creations. You made us. We work for you. You don't work for us. To publicize this and to say before him, we are your creations. We're your creations. We're here. It's a weekly, a weekly, it's a three times a day meeting before God to say, okay, we work for you. What's our next mission? We're here. You're in charge, not us. So in between, I go to work in the gym and I go to the supermarket. In between, I go to the theater. And in between, I go on vacation. In between, But it, three times a day, I gather in shul in order to remind myself that I'm at a meeting. And in this meeting, I'm turning to you, the boss. You know, when there's a staff meeting and there's a boss at the head of that staff meeting, they get the weekly assignment. They understand their role. Each person has a role to play. They measure and evaluate where they're at. 
versus the goal they're trying to accomplish. So the Ramban so succinctly um, expresses what is the purpose of a shul, why are we gathering there? We're not gathering, it's nice to socialize, that is a component of coming to shul, and we shouldn't dismiss that or minimize that, it's called the gathering place, that's part of the value is to be community, to create community, to have a sense of community that's bigger than ourselves, it's part of the reason we come to shul, to connect with community, we also come to shul to see what other people are wearing, to show off what we're wearing, and we come to shul in order to you know, find out which stocks we should invest in and what happened in sports. We come to shul for all kinds of reasons. But says the Ramban, at the core of why we come to shul is to talk to God. But what's the purpose of that conversation in God? To remind ourselves we work for Him, He does not work for us. We don't come to shul to say to God, okay, here are your assignments for the day. Here's what I'd like you to do. We do say that, Shemona Esrei is filled with our requests for the day, but the reason we have those requests is to position us to be the healthiest and the most well-established to be able to fulfill his mission. We are your ambassador. We are your emissary. We are here to do your will, your bidding in this world. We're supposed to, to publicize this. So Ramban and Revolba is, is expanding on it, says, you know how you overcome arrogance? By remembering that we are not self-sufficient. We didn't come here on our own. I, I don't know how anyone could live through Hurricane Dorian or the threat of Hurricane Dorian and still be arrogant. I mentioned the other night before we said to Hillam that the Gemara in the beginning of Masechus Tana says that God gave the keys over to human beings. He said, here's my world, go conquer it, go understand it, go learn it, go take charge of it. And we're doing it, we're doing it. We have medical breakthrough, technological breakthrough. We have breakthrough and progress in this world, which was unimaginable. The Jetsons look so uh, outdated compared to, we've surpassed the future vision of the Jetsons. We've far surpassed the future vision of the carousel of progress at uh, Disney. We've surpassed what everyone envisioned we could be living. We've conquered the world, self-driving cars, and we can FaceTime with our family halfway around the world in real time. And what we can do, it's just, it's mind-boggling what we can do, which therefore makes it all the more mind-boggling that we can do nothing about a hurricane. Not only can we do nothing about stopping or slowing or redirecting a hurricane, we are so impotent to even anticipate where a hurricane will go. It's pathetic. We are pathetic. I'm not talking about the weathermen, the weather channel, they're amazing heroes, God bless them, they're doing the best that they can with the tools that they have. But with everything that we can do and manipulate and control in this world, the fact that we can't even predict where this storm is going to go should be a reminder, should be so enormously humbling to us. Go conquer the world, go manipulate, go do, go achieve, go earn, go have everything you want to have. But with it all, with it all, what are we? We can't even control the weather. So the Gemara in says, V'kivshua, God says, Puravu Meluas Arts, go have a lot of children and fill the world, believe in continuity, believe in a future, and V'kivshua, conquer the world. Go conquer my world. We're not, we don't sit passively on a, on, a, on a couch and wait. We go and we study and we conquer the world. And the Jewish people have taken that message to heart. We've accepted that challenge the disproportionate representation and Nobel Prize winning and who've established um, businesses and companies and technology and breakthrough, you're right at the core of so much that we enjoy is you know, invented in Israel or made by a Jew. Is, we've taken that Bekivshua very, very seriously. And with it all, Hashem says there's three keys, which I'm not giving you because I want you to remember that you work for me, I don't work for you. 
So with all the keys I've given you, I've given you the keychain to create a Tesla and create FaceTime and an Intel chip and to land on the moon. And I've given you the keys to enormous things, but there's three keys I'm holding back. I'm holding onto the keys for rain. I'm holding onto the keys for conception. And I'm holding onto the keys for the resurrection of the dead, really all three the commentators say are the same key, the key for life. You need rain to live, conception is life, and is to, to have life back again. You speak to Dr. Matilski, my neighbor, our community member, who runs an IVF laboratory, and he'll tell you that he mixes the ingredients in the, in the, in the lobby of that waiting room. It's very powerful. Our photo albums and photo albums and photo albums of little babies. And they're all little babies that were conceived in that laboratory. Wow. That were conceived in petri dishes and test tubes and, and using the technology that we have today. Still, with that, there are people who are longing and we pray for them to be able to fulfill their dream of being a parent. Something none of us should ever take for granted if we've been experienced that blessing. So Dr. Matelski will tell you, you know, I mix the ingredients in my lab, but whether a baby comes out nine months later, nothing I can do to control that. And he'll describe that sometimes he harvests eggs and he... Um, implants and tries to create conception and sometimes you'll have six amazing looking fertilized eggs zygots and you implant two or three of them with the hope one of them will take and then you have another couple and the eggs that you've harvested they look so weak and so frail and you implant them and uh, they look like they're barely holding on they're nothing and nine months later the healthy ones yielded nothing and the unhealthy ones that look like they couldn't make it till the end of the day, there's a beautiful, healthy, vibrant baby. And he says, who decides that? Not me, I'm just mixing the ingredients. I'm doing what I can. HaKadosh Baruch Hu holds on to the key of conception. So Hashem says, look, I know that you think you're in charge. I've given you intellect. I've given you know-how. I've given you breakthrough. I've given you technology. I've given you tools. I've told you go conquer my world. Go do it. I want you to be my partner. Hashem invites us to be his partner. We don't sit back passively. He says, be my active partner in running my world. Be my partner. But I need to remind you that you're the junior partner and that I can, call the, I can pull the plug at any moment on this partnership. So how do I remind you you're the junior partner? Because there's three keys that I'm not giving you, three passwords you don't have, three abilities that you can't access. And these three are the most important three. They're really one and they're everything. They're life. FaceTime, we could live without. Tesla, we could live without. Even air conditioning, had we lost power, I hate to tell you, we could live without. We could live without. We think we can't and we wouldn't want to, but we could live without. We can't live without conception or rain to nourish us and to sustain us. We can't live without those things. So the most important thing is the everything Hashem held the key to. And why did he do it? Because he wants us to stay humble. And remember that while we're his partner, and it's a privilege to be his partner, we serve at his pleasure. And should he fire us or dismiss us or pull the plug on the partnership, it's over. We work for him, he doesn't work for us. And how does he remind us of that? Dorian. Every once in a while he sends us a Dorian. And he dangles the keys in front of us and he says, ha ha, hey arrogant, pompous, conceited egomaniacs, you forgot about me? You neglect me? You're living your lives with such pride and arrogance that that house and that car and the clothing and those things, that those children and those grandchildren, that, that good health that you have, you walk around so conceited as if it's all because of you and you earned it and you control it and you can predict it. So he dangles the keys and he says, ha ha, don't forget, I'm not giving you these keys. Here's something called Dorian. It's making a beeline right for you. 
And now let's see how arrogant and conceited you are. As you board up your house and you pathetically, all you can do is passively protect yourself. There's nothing active you can do to my hurricane because I and only I control it. So it leads to all kinds of other theological dilemmas. Why would Hashem send a hurricane? Why would He pummel the people of the Bahamas? Why did He spare us? We have to be very, very, very careful of over-celebrating how Florida escaped. There was an image that's been uh, sent around of uh, someone made of, uh, they drew a hand in front of the state of Florida. There's Dorian, and there's an enormous hand in front of the state of Florida, and it says the hand of God. I don't know if you've seen this image. So at first when you see it, you're like, wow, that's so beautiful. It feels so true. Hashem's hand is right in front of the state of Florida, and like a parent, he's protecting us. He's catching Dorian, and he's throwing it another way. The problem with sharing that image is how do the people of the Bahamas feel about that image? Where, where was his hand to protect them? And this is a balance that we have to strike in Amuna. Is a Holocaust survivor not allowed to express gratitude to Hashem for surviving the Holocaust because so many other six million others died? Can a cancer survivor not thank Hashem that they've recovered from cancer because others didn't have that privilege? This is a balance. My answer is we acknowledge Hashem, we express Hashem, we do it with humility and we do it with sensitivity and we do it with kindness to those who are not as fortunate. I think that's the balance that we have to strike. So the Ramban says, why do we come to shul? The whole reason, the model, the mission statement of any shul, it's a gathering place to remember that as many keys as we're wearing, like a Chanyaki Hatzala guy from Brooklyn, as many keys are hanging off our keychain to control the world. Sorry if any Chanyaki Hatzala guys in Brooklyn are listening to this. But as many keys are hanging off of our keychain, as many keys are hanging off of our keychain, HaKadosh Baruch Hu held on to the most important ones. And that's why we come to shul three times a day and we say, Hashem, we see you, we see the keychain. And even my keys, I know that you can change the lock at any moment. Mm-hmm. I know my keys only work because you enable them to fit into that lock and you can change the lock at any moment in my life. <laughs> we are your creations. We don't create, we are created. We're not in charge, we report to you. Everything we have, is through your will, is through your kindness, is through your generosity. Everything we have is your power expressed just through us, but we don't have it independently of you. We don't have it independent of you. So that's Yesod Ha'ish. The fire within us that rages is the fire of arrogance, of conceit, of ego. It's the fire of pride. It's the fire that says, I'm in charge, I'm in control. The world has to work the way I want it to. Some people flip out when, when it doesn't. You know, there are very manipulative people who can be demanding and arrogant and conceited and controlling of the people around them, a spouse, children, employees. They tell everyone to fall in line, to do everything they want. But then they tell Dorian what to do, and Dorian doesn't listen. (laughs) And what happens? People melt down in those moments. They have a nervous breakdown. Because if you're arrogant and conceited and you tell the cancer to go away, but it's not listening, or you tell Dorian to go away, but it's not listening, or you tell whatever to go away and it's not listening, then what do you do? If all along you knew that you weren't in charge, then you can deal with it when things don't go your way. But if you always thought that you were controlling and you could micromanage everything and everyone in your life, what happens when you confront and encounter something or someone you can't micromanage? Hakasmi Sodesh. So that was arrogance. Now we move on to anger. Something none of you know anything about. Anger. Midas Hakas. We also just went through an incubator of anger. There's nothing like being holed up in a house for three, four days straight, waiting for a disaster, waiting for the lights and power and AC to go out. 
and there's toys left around. There's, first of all, every one of us, our blood sugars went up, our blood pressure went up, our, we gained 40 pounds, we, you know? Hurricane has a lot of casualties. Even when it doesn't strike, even when it doesn't strike. So kas, anger is also at the root of, is, is the cause. Meaning you could break the character of anger and says the Katsker, then you'll have two bad characteristics of anger if you try to break anger. Instead, re realize anger comes from fire rage in your belly and you need to control the fire. What, what is anger? Shi'ifa means a goal, an aim. You just want to Elevate yourself, you want to control, you want to be in charge. Like a fire is in charge, a fire ravages anything in its path. You can't scream at the fire. You can tell your Tesla where to drive or how fast to go, but if you scream at the fire, stop, put yourself out, the fire doesn't listen. When a fire is lit and a fire is raging, a fire consumes, it destroys anything in its path. It's not discerning or judicious. When do we get angry? What is the cause or the source of our anger? It's when things are not going the way that we planned it. When others are not responding the way that we want them to. So when they leave their Lego in the middle of the floor during a hurricane, or when they didn't turn the lights off, or when they didn't do what they were, clean their room the way they were supposed to. And our rabbis um, connect with this Midah. Gemara Shabbos. The Gemara there concludes, a person who tears their clothing out of anger is as if they're worshipping an idol. You ever see someone who destroys property in anger? Punches a wall, breaks a vase, smashes something. So angry they break something. What is the logic of that? If you just freeze that for a moment, freeze that frame for a moment, when the person comes to and they sober up from that anger, and you say to them, now you need a new TV. Yeah. Now you need a new vase. Now you need a new coffee table. Now you need a new door. Now you need someone to repair the wall. Now you need new clothing. The Gemara's example of this was the person who used to tear their garment out of anger. So angry, they would just tear up some clothing. And the Gemara sees this as an Ovid Avodah Such a person is an idolater. The Rambam in Hilchus Deus quotes, If you give in to anger, you're an idolater. Who are you worshipping? Whom are you worshipping? Idolatry is worshipping something. So who are you worshipping if you get angry? The anger flares. So anger is a self-destructive character trait. Anger can never be expressed in a positive fashion. Anger is by definition always negative. You're allowed to, the Ramam says, we've talked about this before, the Ramam says, you're allowed to exhibit anger. You could mimic anger. You could act as if you're angry when you need to communicate something. So if your son runs in the middle of the street or puts his fingers in the outlet of the wall, you can act as if you're angry because you're trying to impress upon him how he can't do that. But while you're acting angry, you need to be calm, cool, and collect at your core. The most you could ever do is act angry, but you can never be angry. Why can you never be angry? Because when you give in to anger, you lose all clarity of judgment. You self-sabotage, you self-destruct, you show poor judgment, you can't think clearly. They, they've done research and the parts of the brain that light up when a person gets angry is enraged when there's a fire in your belly the parts of the brain that light up are the animal parts of the brain fight or flight animal parts of the brain I always wonder how they do that 
do they put the person in the MRR machine and then start telling them something that will make them angry? Or they find someone who's angry and say, can you come with me for a minute? Slip them in the MRI machine? I never understood how they do that research. But, um, but they, you see that the animal parts of the brain light up because you don't, you don't think like a normal person anymore. And that's why people, when they're angry, do really, really stupid stuff. Your ego is crossed, you send that angry email and you can't take it back. You say that angry thing that can never be taken back. You do that angry thing, which costs you a lot of money, and now you need to repair it or buy a new thing. So what was at the source of that anger that made you do something stupid? And the smart you would look at that and say, what a moron. No one will ever look at that and say, you know what? That was a good move. That was a good move. If you had a camera and you could watch, and by the way, today there are cameras and you can watch everywhere. If you would watch a video of yourself flying off the handle, has anyone ever taken pride in that? You know what? That was, that was an impressive display. I'm proud. I'm proud of that moment. That was one of my better moments. I'm proud of that. You know what? I could live without the coffee table. I could live without the vase. I could live without the wall or the door or the car. But you know what? I could live without the clothing. I could live without the wife or the husband. You know, the, the real damage to real relationships, which is irreparable. I could live without it because that was the problem. I would react that way again. I'd react. No one in history has ever said that. Well, you've given up. You storm out of a business meeting because in the negotiation of the business deal, so your ego was violated. So your emotion took over your intellect and you lost an enormous potential deal. Did anyone ever walk away and say, I'm proud of that. That was a good, that was good, that was good. Never. So what's, what's happened is the animal part of the brain lights up and it sabotages our humanity. And we are kilo of it's idolatry. So Revolba says we can explain this based on the Hela Gatanya, the Alter Rebbe, and Nigeris HaKodesh. You know where anger comes from? When something goes against the will or the want of the one who got angry, that's where anger comes from. We all have a button. It's an anger button. Some people's anger button is under lock and key and it's really hard to get to it. It takes an enormous amount to break through the layers and layers and to get to the button to be able to press it. And other people have an anger button that's on their forehead. If, if the wind blows a little bit too strong one day, then the anger button is pressed and they fly off the handle. Right? We all know people like that. Chazal talk about that in Pirkei Avos. There are those who are quick to anger and then quick to recover from the anger, slow to anger, then it takes a really but once they get angry, it takes a long time to recover from the anger. We have all kinds of profiles of people and anger. But everyone's anger button gets pressed when and why? It gets pressed when someone is doing something against, against uh, that we perceive is not consistent or consonant with what we want. So we have, we have a taina. How do you translate the word taina? We have a complaint, we have an issue. We take issue with, with what the person is doing. That's not how I drew it up. I wanted the house to be clean, not a mess. I wanted you to come this time, not be late. I wanted you to do a business deal on my terms, not negotiate for the way you want it to be. I want the hurricane to go out to sea, not make me bored up. I wanted the store to be open, not have closed because of the hurricane that never even happened. I wanted people fly off the handle and every time we fly off the handle, what is at the core of flying off the handle? When something didn't go our way. When it didn't go our way. We can live our lives thinking one of two people is in charge, either him or us. When we think it's him, then we're prepared to accept whatever he throws our way. When we think it's us, then we fly off the handle. 
when we were supposed to be in charge, but people aren't falling in line to do it the way that we, we're in charge. What do you mean? I'm in charge. I call the shots. I draw it up. Why isn't everyone falling in line? If you really have emuna, if you live life yielding and conceding and submitting to him, you'd never get angry because whatever life throws your aid, that's the way it's meant to be. And I want to give you a prime example because it just happened to two families this weekend. And I'll give it to you as a prime example in, in the way that I responded to somebody. We, we spoke several times in, in our shir about uh, your homework. I'm not going to ask if you're bothering to do it. About a hashkacha pratis, keeping a hashkacha pratis journal. Whether it's pen and paper or whether it's on your phone or whether it's a WhatsApp group with your family, but actually writing down, not going to sleep at night any day without recording some way where you saw Hashem in your life that day. Some way. I wrote in our Hashkacha Pratis journal, we went, uh, when was this hurricane supposed to hit first? Sunday? Monday? What's today? I don't even remember when. I went, I think it was Monday. So I went, uh, don't judge me, everything was calm, but I took my kids to the beach because I wanted to see the waves and hang out. I thought it was a good day to go to the beach. So we went to the beach. So I took a few of my kids, we went to, it was safe. I confirmed it was safe. Ma, it's okay, we all came back. The head count is all there. Tell, certain things we tell my mother after the fact. Some things we can't even tell her after the fact, like jumping out of an airplane. But anyway, so we went to the beach and um, I was with my kids and I told them, don't go near the water. So what did they do, of course? They went right up to the water and the water, the waves were enormous. The surfing was incredible. And uh, what happened? The water pulled back and one of my daughters who was wearing slides, they're called slides, I learned the shoes, uh, whatever. It took off one of her shoes and it went out to sea. So there she was on the beach, really upset. I said, you should have listened to me. I told you not to go near the water. Thank God it was just the shoe, not you. Could have been you. Come back here. Don't go close to the water again. We stood on the beach. We watched the surfers. They were amazing. The enormous waves crashed. We don't normally get waves like that here. And uh, it was really a sight to see. It was very beautiful. Then the rain, the sky opened up. It rained. We went under the pavilion. We were waiting for the rain to stop so we can go home with my one-shoed door. <laughs> And we're standing there, and this must have been 20, 25 minutes later, and a woman sees her with one shoe and says, did you lose that other shoe? She said, yeah. She says, it's about 100 yards down the beach. I saw that shoe wash up from the ocean. Go to the beach, it's there. So my daughter ran down to the beach and ran and got her other shoe. So I put, I put that in our hashkacha. So I'm giving you an example. Put that, I put two things in our hashkacha pratis family WhatsApp. One is that we came home with Tamima, and number two is it was the shoe, not her. And number two is... If that's not a shkacha pratis, that this woman saw that she noticed she was missing a shoe and remembered she saw that shoe. And when she went back, the shoe was still there. The fact that the ocean took the shoe, Hashem nasan, Hashem nakach, Hashem nasan. He took the shoe and he gave it back. That's a shkacha pratis. You just have to see Hashem in the, in the little things, in the little things. So I've been talking about this a lot and someone asked me, so is it true you only see Hashem for the good things? What about the bad things? Are you supposed to write in your hashkacha pratis journal when something went wrong for you that day? Does that also go in the journal? What if your shoe came off and you didn't get it back? Would you write down, Hashem took one of my shoes today. I don't know why. I don't know why it doesn't make sense, but the ocean took one of my shoes and I put that in the journal. Does that go in the journal? So my answer was absolutely. And it's a chazal. Kamar tells us, The same way that we see Hashem as the one and the source of good, we see Hashem as the one and the source, even for that which we perceive as not as good. And I'll give you an example. We had two families who had scheduled big simchas this weekend family flying in and major major simchas and you know they had to cancel it's devastating 
when you have a big simcha and it's well organized and you put down deposits and everything's planned and it's impossible, you know, in Boca Raton Synagogue, you need to reserve the date before you cut the umbilical cord on the newborn child. <laughs> First you call Matthew and reserve the date for the bar bat mitzvah, <laughs> then you cut the umbilical cord. That's the order that you have to do it. So when you have a bar bat mitzvah canceled because of a hurricane, a hurricane that never even happened. Yeah. And what happened on Sunday morning and Sunday evening, the two times for these simchas? I was at the beach and others were outside in the pool and everyone was playing tennis and everyone was having the most wonderful, delightful day with the most beautiful weather. And if you're those families, you're sitting there saying, really? Are you kidding me? So if you have ish, if you have a fire in your belly, so you fly off the handle with kas. You can't sleep that night. You're anxious. You're angry. You're angry at Hashem. You're angry at the universe. You're angry at Dorian. You're angry at the Weather Channel. You're angry at everything in the world because what the heck? <coughs> but you have to put that in your WhatsApp group too and say, Hashem, I know it's you who caused my simchas to be rescheduled. I don't know why. I don't understand why, but I accept it and see it as coming from you nonetheless. It's for a reason. For whatever was meant to be, that's why it happened. Who knows? Who knows? And I'm not going to sit here and play that foolish game. Maybe if you had it, then something terrible would have happened there and Hashem really saved you because someone was going to have a heart attack on the dance floor and it was better it was rescheduled because the floor was going to collapse because the thing was going to uh, and the poison was going to be in the food and everyone would have had a stomach virus. I'm not going to play that game that what would have happened, so really it's a bracha because you don't know. It's such a silly game to play that game. We don't need to play that game. All we need to do is to say, I don't know. I don't understand. I don't get it. I don't know if I'll ever know. I don't know if I'll ever understand. But that too is from Hashem. It's not only from Hashem when it's the good, even when it's not with our will, even when it's keneged ritzonenu. It's going against what we wanted, how we drew it up. So those are the moments that test our amuna. Those are the moments that test our, our fortitude, that test our even... Our, our, our evenness? Do we fly off the handle? Are we filled with rage? Do we get upset? How do we react? So why is the Ki'ilu Ovid Avodah What is idolatry? Idolatry is instead of seeing everything coming from God, you attribute it or ascribe it to another source. That's idolatry. What is idolatry? When instead of seeing everything as coming from Hashem, you see it coming from another source. So when you get angry that something didn't go your way, what are you saying? Who are you worshipping? Whom are you worshipping? Yourself. You're saying, I'm in charge. God, I know I do that thing called davening, and I say, Baruch Hashem, Mirz Hashem, and I do all your mitzvot, and I come to shul, and I learn the daf yomi, and I do chesed, and I get stuck. I know I do all that stuff. But when push comes to shove, I really want it to go my way. Really, I'm in charge. Really, I expect things to happen the way I want them to. This is when my simcha was scheduled to be. Or this is when I was supposed to be out of town yesterday. I had a speaking engagement in another community and I had to cancel it. God, like, what do you mean? I know I say all those things and I know I'm scheduled to go there and speak about Amuna, but really I have no Amuna because it's supposed to be my way and I'm flying off the handle and I can't get through the airline and will it work out and we can't find the replacement day and what's going to be? So those are the moments that test us. Are we Ovid Avodazara? Who are we worshiping, God or ourselves? How do we expect the world to function based on his will or ours? Or... To quote Racheli Franco, we quoted her on Shabbos several weeks ago, when her son among the three boys was missing before we know ultimately what happened with them. When she went to the Kotel to daven and she encountered a group of children davening and she davened with them and then she said to them, I want you to know we're still hoping that our boys will come back alive, but even if they don't, this is what she said, a mother of a missing kidnapped child in the heart of her being missing, his being missing, what she said to those children that day is, Anachnu ovdim bishvilo, hulo oved bishvilanu. We work for him, he doesn't work for us. Remember that. That should be a bumper sticker. It should be a sticker on the back of every cell phone. It should be on every dashboard of every car. It should be on the mirror of your bathroom. And it should be on the refrigerator of the kitchen. 
אנחנו עובדים בשבילו, הוא לא עובד בשבילנו. We work for him, he doesn't work for us. So when we insist that things have to be our way, and when they're not our way, we fly off the handle with anger, what we're saying is he needs to work for us. So God says, I work for you, I don't work for anybody. But I'll tell you what, well, part ways, there goes the partnership. And let's see how well you do, Mr. Junior Partner, Mrs. Junior Partner, without my help. I'm out, I'm out. So it's either him or it's us. And says the Balatanya, that's at the root of all anger. Take any situation of anger, anger, any situation of anger, not any situation of being upset, right? So if I say I'm, I'm upset that there are anti-Semitic, anti-Israel women in Congress, and it angers me, it upsets me, and I'm going to go fight them. So that's not selfishness, that's serving Hashem, but I can't ever do it with anger. Anger means it's purely emotional, there's no intellect, no intellect to it, there's no strategy to it. There's no forethought to it. I'm just angry. I'm yelling. I'm flying off the handle. I'm angry. Eish, it's the fire in me. I need to have a strategy. I need to fight these women. I need to fight anti-Semitism. I need to confront evil. All that is good. But when I do it from a position of anger, of emotion, that's when it's bad. That's when it's bad. Mishachai be'amunah. If we live with that amunah, u'meivin shekom ha'shakoro u'bashkocha And we understand that everything that happens, the good that goes in our journal, and even that which is not good in our journal, which is painful, sometimes unbearably painful. But when we understand that it's all it's by design and it's specific and it's geared for us. It's not random, it's not chance. There wasn't a lottery and we pulled the short straw that we had to lose someone we love. We pulled the short straw, we struggle with Parnassah. We pulled the short straw, we have no nachas from children. We pulled the short straw, we have infertility. It's not that it's random and it's chance and we just happen to get the bad end of the, of the deal. Revolba's language here is very specific. That whatever we're going through, the good or the bad, is specific for us. Why? How? You know what? I wish I wasn't such a lucky winner. I should make it specific for someone else. I don't need it. I don't know. I don't know. Nobody knows. Anyone who pretends to know thinks their God is, is a heretic. We don't know. We don't know. But I think that we can find comfort in knowing that it's not random or chance, that it's from Hashem and for a reason. What's that reason? Who knows if or when we'll ever find out. But there is some comfort just in knowing that it's for a reason. And when we can accept that, there's no room to get angry. And I'll end by telling you this, because I'm looking at some people here who've gone through and are going through immense, immense, immense pain, incomprehensible suffering. So how do we glibly sit here learning about Amuna and don't get angry and don't be upset, it's all by design, it's from Hashem, accept it, put it in your journal with a smile. The only place I can tell you that you can draw strength are from the people themselves who've gone through this and they never gave up their strength. So when you talk about the extraordinary people, we had a memorial last week for Rabbi Dr. Avigail Rock, and we talk about our dear friend Baruch Tzvi, Ben Ruvein Nassan, Rabbi Dr. Gabbat. And we talk about Holocaust survivors who we knew and who we lost. We talk about people who went through unimaginable. And whatever the suffering that people are going through, they went through that many fold, many times over. And yet, they never lost their amuna, their faith, not till their last moments, not till their last breath, not till the last words that they uttered. Did they accept from Hashem that this is hashkacha meduyekes umichuvenes? That this is specific and by design and as painful and as wish, much as they wish it wasn't them, they accept it from Hashem. So sometimes you need to ride the coattails of another when you can't generate it yourself. Sometimes you need to just look at those who have that faith and say, I'm grabbing onto you. It's illogical, it doesn't make sense, I don't understand it, I don't even want to accept it, but I'm grabbing onto you. I'm grabbing onto you. 
There are people all around us we can grab onto. People of extraordinary faith. Not just the ones who have blessed life and have the privilege of giving a shear and giving all the lip service. But there are people who've gone through it or are going through it and they still have their faith. Grab onto their coattails. Spend time with them. Talk to them. Listen to them. Learn from them. Be near them. Faith is contagious. It's contagious. If they have it, then you can find strength from it. Even when on your own it seems like it's simply unattainable. It is attainable. And we know it's attainable by those who have it and those who live with it. Hashem should give it to us, that we should have that strength to be able to overcome that fire, to be able to control that fire. Again, is the fire good or bad? Yes, it's good to have fire. Fire is a source of fuel, it's a source of light, it's a source of heat, it's a source of warmth. We need fire, but we can't have raging fire that's uncontrolled. We need controlled fire. Controlled fire means you're animated, you're alive, you're enthusiastic, you're vibrant. Uncontrolled fire means that you're arrogant, conceited, and that you get angry. And that's what Rav Volba was saying is, don't treat the symptom. Don't try to focus on arrogance and anger. Focus on controlling the fire inside you. And we'll pick up more with that in Mirza Hashem next week.